0: So, as Ben said this morning, we continue in our our Lenten series, and we'll talk some about Palm Sunday. It just it fits right into uh, where we are and and what we're talking about. We're going to look at John's uh, Gospel, John chapter fourteen, beginning uh, with verse one. We'll read that in just a moment. But in order to kind of step into This passage and and what we are going to read here in the first seven verses of the 14th chapter of John, because the moment that I read this, if you haven't already turned there and already looking, you are going to see uh, what has become. in, in a lot of ways, a verse that many of us don't know what to do with, and in other ways, a verse that the, the rest of the world knows exactly what to do with and, and are able to use this as an indictment against Christianity. But I, my hope and my prayer is that over the course of our time together, we are able to hear these words from the mouth of Jesus in the way that He intended us to hear them. Amen? Amen. So, uh, to, to begin, my my father was, was and in many ways still is, my my original gps that man's ability to give directions is unparalleled and if there is a close second it is my brother adam because he just that he just picked that up there are still times where i will either reach out to my father or reach out to my brother adam and say here's where i'm going here's what uh miss google is telling me but i need you to tell me if there is a better way Right, when I growing up in Greensboro, I would, I would, hey, Dad, here's like, there's a gathering of people. I would never say party, but hey, some friends are getting together, um, and and they live kind of on this part of town. What, how do I get there? Right, and and he would just, he would tell me, just rattle it off the top of his head, just tell me how to get where I needed to go because he always knew the way. And then as I got older and could take like trips by myself to the coast of North Carolina or South Carolina, um, I, I would. I would you know call my dad and say say dad like how do I what's the best way to get you know to this beach to this place where I'm going and he would without like not even a pause he would say do you have a pen and paper because it, he was just going to rattle off for me the directions to get to this place that I wanted to go i mean including like the landmarks i was going to need to look for and the places where there were payphones i know money, you probably don't need, know what a payphone is many of you but it was this box you could put a quarter in and, and you could pick up the phone and call. I would always call collect, but, uh, which meant my dad had to pay for the call. But he, these are the places where there are pay phones because you're, in case you get lost and, and are confused. But then he would do this. Even even when I was going out somewhere in Greensboro, where I'd lived my entire life, he would say, do you know how to get home? Which seems like a strange question, right? But he would know, and, and sometimes i I want to go back and ask him what he really knew, but I don't want to ask him what he knew. He, maybe it was just that it was light when I was going to this place, and then it would be dark when I came home. It was early when I left, and it would be late when I returned. But then maybe he also knew that there were times when I chose to spend time in a way that wasn't healthy and spend time with people that I probably shouldn't have been spending time with. And Sue so he would always ask this question, are you sure you know how to get home? Do you know the way home? Friends, there is written on each of our hearts a longing for home, and we spend most of our lives trying to find a way to get there. Now, I've shared with you before, like, my deep love for home. We're... Two times over the next four months, we are going to, to travel east and head to the coast, and we are going to come home, and we are going to cross Interstate 77 heading west, and then we are going to crest the next hill. And I'm just going to sigh, and my wife is going to look at me and say, just go ahead and say it, because she knows as soon as I see those mountains on the horizon, I'm going to say, gosh, can you believe that, that we get to live? That's home. And then when we're approaching the Parkway Bridge over 421, as we get near Deep Gap, she's going to say, go ahead and say it. And I don't want to say it just to, just to like out of spite because I know she's right and I, I have to say something, but it's, there's always this, man, this just gratitude of being able to come home. And, and maybe some of you are like, you know, whatever, like if I, if it's two weeks and I haven't traveled anywhere, then I start to get uneasy. Like I feel like I have to go places. But I think even in that, there's this longing for home. Maybe you need to step outside of the regular rhythm of life and and step into a place where you feel alive, and maybe that travel is connected to people that you love, and and to be able to step into a place where where you feel loved and cared for, and there's just something about life that that it's like you're able to get your head above the clouds. Even in that is this longing for home, this longing for life that is more than what we have become accustomed to. Written in each of our hearts is a longing for home. And this morning we get to hear from Jesus that he is the way home. He has always been from the beginning the plan for us to get home. And will be until the day that he returns and establishes his kingdom here forever. The way for us to get home. If you would stand and read with me from John's Gospel. John chapter 14. We don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, typically on on Palm Sunday, we would read from one of the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and read the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But, but the, the reason that we, we can allow ourselves to be here in John's gospel, which records the last week, the last days of Jesus' life very differently than the other gospel writers do, is that John is, um, is, is highlighting something that those who were lining the streets leading into Jerusalem, those who were waving palm branches, those who were shouting at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, save us, save now, in those cries of the people who were welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem was a longing for home. Right, these were a people who who, since the time that they were taken out of captivity in Egypt and taken into the promised land, and then it wasn't long before they began to rebel against the god the things that god said these this is the way that I want you to live, these are the things I want you to avoid as soon as they begin to rebel and then and then God and his really His faithfulness and His grace allowed them to feel the sting of rebellion and allowed them to, to be exiled and taken into homes that were not their own. There's been this longing for home, and so even the the people that we see in Jesus's day, they are under the, the subjugation of Rome. Rome is the most powerful empire in the world at this time, and, and, and yes, there's some, like they're able to kind of In a sense, live the way that they want to and worship the way that they want to. But Big Brother is always there. Rome is always there. Reminders of Rome everywhere around them. And so these cries of Hosanna, save us, save now, are are cries a longing for home. The expectation of Jesus was that he would be a Messiah who would lead them to political freedom. That he would come and he would rally the troops. That he would take up the sword against their oppressor. And that he would lead them to a freedom that they had not known in generations. Would Jesus lead them to freedom? Absolutely. But it would not be the kind of freedom that they were expecting. Rather it was the kind of freedom that they desperately needed. A freedom from self, a freedom from slavery to sin, a freedom from, from thinking that checking the religious boxes will get them into relationship with the Father, will get them into heaven, will get them into eternity, will get them to a place where they, are, where they are worthy of God's favor. Jesus came to free them from those chains that have bound them and continue to bind humanity. And so even wrapped up in this cries of Hosanna, or this cry home, so in order for us to appreciate really what what Jesus is is doing here there there are there are two ways for us to appreciate the context one is the immediate context in which this was happening right these the, as we 've said the past few weeks these were hours these were like Moments, really, if you want to look at kind of the grand scheme of time, but this is right before Jesus would be arrested, following this this time the farewell discourse, as it 's called in john 's gospel, following this farewell discourse, these last moments that Jesus has with his disciples, they will travel to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus will will pray and, and his disciples even then, right after being told that they would betray him, that they would all fall away. Even then, when all Jesus asks them to do is to stay awake and pray with him and they fall asleep because they can't muster themselves to stay with Jesus, Jesus will then be arrested and and Jesus will be put on trial. And and these are the moments that we are stepping into this week, all things being equal in what we now call Holy Week. So Jesus is preparing them for his departure. These words that Jesus speaks are meant to be words of comfort to them. Words of comfort for men who have given their lives to following jesus they've left everything they've left job security they've left the, the security of a, of a future that would have been known to follow this rabbi that then they began to to hear and maybe even put their faith in that he was god's messiah, he was the chosen one, the one who for for generations had been foretold, the one who has now come that they've, they've left family they've left occupation they've left everything to They've gone all in on this man, Jesus, and now they are beginning to hear he's, he's leaving us? What, what are we to do then? So Jesus speaks these words of comfort. But then if you were to zoom out a little bit and consider when this was written, when these things were recorded, when John wrote his gospel, the church had begun to face persecution unlike any persecution it had faced up to that point in its existence. Right. This is in the time of, of Nero when the great emperor Nero was so opposed to Christianity that he would, he would take Christians captive, he would put them to death, he would cover them with tar, and he would hang them on crosses on the road leading into the city and would light them on fire to light the way for, for people who were traveling into the city. What a horrific existence for people who are followers of Christ. Not only that, but then at at that point they had already begun to be pushed out of the synagogue. Whereas if you look at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, followers of Christ were able to continue to gather in the temple courts. Right? There was still maybe a little bit of distrust, but they still had the freedom to gather in the places of worship. But by now... Jewish people had begun to push them out of the synagogue because they didn't want to be associated with these Christians, because they were afraid for their own lives and their own freedoms. So John takes up the, the pen at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and records the story of Jesus. These words that are meant to be a hope and a comfort for people at that point who were saying, what is it that I've given my life to? Is, is, it, is it worth it? Is it worth Living under the fear of death, is it worth what could possibly happen to me or to my family? And John writes these words that would allow people to see that there's something bigger going on. And it is absolutely worth it because what you're going through right now and what is happening, this is not all there is. So into the context in which John is writing and the first hearers of this gospel would hear these words and into the immediate context of Jesus' time with his disciples, he's speaking these words of comfort. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. These men who were his disciples were by birth Jewish men. Their upbringing had been had been uh, had been Jewish, they had been taught, uh, they had learned the Torah, they had learned the ways of God. And as we said last week, at some point along the way, they were told, hey, you don't quite have what it takes to then go on and study under a rabbi, but, but great job up to this point. Uh, you've learned a lot, and, and maybe you could, you could, you know, best um, honor God by going and serving your family in the family business. And so that's what they did, and that's what Jesus uh, called them out of. And, and so Jesus is, is kind of laying down a challenge for them, if, if, if you want to consider it that way. You believe in God. That, that's, that's good. That's evidence in the way that you've lived your life up to this point. But now, now I want to make sure that you, there's something more. You believe also in, in me. And, and that, what Jesus is, is saying, this is not two separate things, right? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now you're serving like two different masters, Right, two different lords. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is trying to help them to understand this great mystery of our faith. That, that in the person of Christ we have God fully human and fully divine. Fully man and fully God. Take another step of faith and faithfulness with me is what Jesus is inviting them to. To do. In the same way that you were willing and willing to look back over your history and see the ways that God has been faithful and the ways that God has worked, in the same way that you celebrate the Passover meal, which we have just done, because you believe it's important to remember God's faithfulness, in the same way you believe in God, believe also that I am the one that God has sent. And I have come to accomplish what you and your strivings cannot accomplish. I have come to make a way where there seemed to be no way. So Jesus then goes on to say to them, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And this, the, the noun form of this word for rooms is, is, is the, the same or, or the verb form we looked at last week when Jesus says, I am the true vine, and then tells His disciples that they must remain or abide in Him. So this picture that Jesus is painting, this promise that Jesus is making is one of, of a place of abiding with Him, a place of abiding with the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you to live, a place for you to be, a place for you to exist, a place for you to abide and remain. And and that that is, we 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 were meant, we were created to live in unending fellowship and relationship with our Heavenly Father. We see this in the very beginning when when God comes to walk in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve, and we read that they hid. They didn't hide because God was walking in the garden. They hid because of their shame, which would lead us to believe that that they weren't surprised that God was there. That that must have been a customary thing, that, that God, their creator, the one who loved them and breathed life into them, that for him to come and spend time with them was a normal practice. It's out of their shame of reaching out and taking the very thing that God said they cannot have that they hid themselves. That relationship, that fellowship with our creator was broken when sin entered the world and we allow it to be broken when we allow sin to reign in our own lives. And yet Jesus is giving this promise. That's not how you were created to live. The way that you were created to live is an unbroken fellowship, abiding relationship with the Father. And I am going to make a place for you there. But then I'm gonna return. If I'm going to make a place, you better believe I'm coming back to get you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He makes the promise at the end of Matthew's gospel, Behold, I will be with you always until the very end of the age. For a little while, you won't see me. Things are going to happen that are supposed to happen, and, 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 and I'm going to be taken out of your lives, but trust that I will return Trust that there is a reason for this because I'm going to prepare a place through the work of the cross for you to have abiding relationship with your creator, for you to have abiding relationship, unbroken fellowship with the Father Jesus is the means by which that happens. And I love Thomas. Man, for any of you who have questions or a doubter, Thomas is your guy. For any of you who speak Speak first and then think about what you said. Peter is your guy. Like, I I just think there's such beauty in the way that these gospel writers have captured the lives of these young men that said yes to following Jesus. I mean, I don't know. If I was John and I was tasked with recording this story, I might take Thomas out of it. Like, this doesn't look good to have one of the guys that's given his life to following Jesus as soon as Jesus is done speaking to say something like, Hey, we don't know where you're going. It's as if he's saying, "All you do is speak in riddles. How in the world are we supposed to understand what you're saying? You 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 talk about fields and buying fields and selling fields, and then pearls of great price, and and you you, you talk about vineyards, but it's not really a vineyard you're talking about. And, and it's riddles all the time, Jesus. How, how are we supposed to know where you're going? Like if I am John writing this gospel, maybe Thomas, I I just give him fewer lines in the story, right? And and yet. Thomas's doubt, Thomas's question do not negate the faithfulness of God and the reality of what Jesus is able to accomplish. One of the things, in fact, that we value as a church is that we're willing to ask hard questions. I believe when we are willing to wrestle and ask questions like that, when we are willing, like Thomas, to go before the the feet of Jesus and say, hey, listen, this is what you're telling me, this is what I read, but I just don't understand. it. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know how you're going to accomplish this. I don't know the way that you're asking me to go. It gives an authenticity to the journey. There's an authenticity to wrestling and asking questions. Now, if you're a person who's like, hey, whatever, like I, I read this and I believe it. Like, I I don't even know that I can tell you my conversion story because I'm not sure if I had one. For me, this has always been the source of life. Praise God for you. Praise God for that. It does not mean that your journey is any less valid than someone who has wrestled along the way. Because there are ways that God is able to use both kinds of story to impact the lives of other people. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture of the body and the fabric which makes us the church. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? How, how, how do we get there? In fact, Jesus had just told them prior to this, you, you can't go where I'm going, and, that, and that's where you know, Peter. Oh, Peter is like, actually, I will go with you to the very end. Jesus says, no, Peter, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Then Peter says, "In fact, I would be willing to die with you. I would die for you. I, whatever it takes to show my faithfulness to you, Jesus, I am your guy." And and that's when Jesus is like, "Look, I, I'm going to give you, I don't know, like twelve hours. I'm going to give you till six in the morning, when the rooster crows, to just continue to think that, and and then you're going to deny that you even know me." Jesus has told him you you. You're going to fall away. You, you can't go where I'm going. And Thomas, you know, you say you're going to prepare a place for You say that you, you are the way home. You are the answer to that which we've been longing for. You are the solution. You are God's answer to what we are experiencing. How can we get there? We don't know where you're going. How can we get home? And, and friends, that, that is the question that we have wrestled with as humanity since the very beginning. And it looks different, I think, in each of our lives, which, which sometimes makes it so difficult for us to recognize that. For some people, you, you can look at their life or maybe your own life and say, yeah, it is, it is very evident that I am longing for a home and I'm trying to figure out how to get there because I have chased relationship, I have chased pleasure, I have chased success, I have chased answers, I, like, what, I mean, you know, pick your thing, I have chased all of these things in an attempt to find a way home, to find my way to a place where I am known and loved and have purpose in my life. But for others, it might be more subtle. Maybe your way home is just about following the rules. Like if we did a you know, Ten Commandments quiz, you're like, eh, I'd, I'd probably do pretty well on that. When the reality is none of us do well with that. Right? We all fail that quiz. On some level, we all fall short. We all have this deep longing for returning home to this place that we were created to be in abiding fellowship with the Father. And in the way that we so often live our lives, we are like Thomas asking this question how how do I get there? How do I return home? Jesus responds, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, if we understand these words in the context in which Jesus spoke them, if we understand these words in the context in which they are written, as Jesus saying, I am the way home, no matter what you are facing no matter what is coming no matter what you find yourselves in the midst of i and the way home what this is not doing what jesus is not doing here is setting his disciples up to be able to draw a line in the sand and become the playground bullies right that's the indictment against christianity when words like this are read Hold on, you say you got the market cornered on the only way home, the only way to God? We have to wrestle with that as, as Christians. We have to wrestle with that as the church. Right? Jesus didn't give these words to his disciples so that they can then go around bullying everybody into the kingdom. Or taking up the gavel and saying, you're in, you're in, you're out, you're definitely out, you have no hope, you're in, you might be able to squeak by. That responsibility does not Rest with any of us. There is only one who is worthy of judging the hearts of man. And it is Jesus. Now, what do we do when we're faced with that question of, well, what about this way? What about this way? One of the things that we hear Jesus saying in this And one of the things that that sets him apart from every other religious figure, if you want to consider him that way, he's much more than that. But one of the things that sets Jesus apart is that he is the only one who reveals the Father to us. He is the only one who offers us the Father. The only one who offers us our Creator. The only one who makes possible relationship with the Father. If every other system of belief and every other religion is about earning our way into favor with God, climbing the mountain as it were, if you wanted to use that kind of imagery or that illustration, then in Jesus we have one who descended from the mountain to come and be where we are, to show us a different way of living. And to live that way perfectly so that when he goes to the cross, he goes to the cross sinless, that he might take on the sin of humanity, that he might open the way, be the way, the truth, and the life. That he might be the way into relationship with the Father. This does not give us as the church permission to draw a line in the sand. Instead, it gives us an invitation An invitation to be signposts, to say, hey, I found the way home, and it's not me. I found the way home, and it's not checking all the boxes. I found the way home, and it's not that system of beliefs. I found the way home, and his name is Jesus. Would you come and and just journey this with me? And we can figure this out together. It's a different way of understanding these words that, that Jesus is proclaiming here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is a truth that is outside of us and that is fixed. In in Colossians, Paul kind of takes this up and he he writes these these words about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The author of Hebrews. Similarly, Hebrews 1 verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Jesus is the truth of who God the Father is. We see the truth of who God is in the person of Jesus and the way that Jesus lived His life and the way that Jesus came to show us a new way. The way that Jesus didn't just tolerate or worse, avoid those who were outside of God's best or those who chose to pursue and try to find their way home by pleasures of this earth or by cheating others. Those were the people that Jesus came to spend time with, the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Those were the ones that, that Jesus broke bread with in their homes, which would have con- been considered a, a holy thing, a sacred Thing, to be able to share a meal with someone, Jesus shared a meal with those who were untouchable and those who were unlovable because Jesus in and of himself is the perfect representation of the Father, a truth that is outside of this world and is fixed and yet has entered into the lives of humanity. Jesus is sure of himself. Therefore, Jesus is able to spend time with the least and the lost. He's not worried about how it's going to affect him. He's not worried about how it's going to look to those on the outside, the religious leaders who are like, "Whoop, nope, that's not what our Messiah would do. Our Messiah would be in the temple with the tassels and the robes. And, and our Messiah would, would, would take up the sword against our oppressors. And Jesus is like, oh, no, but there's a different way. I came to seek and save that which was lost as Luke records in his gospel because I'm sure of who I am. And it's out of that assuredness of being one with the Father that Jesus is able to step into the brokenness of humanity and to say to you and me and the brokenness of our lives, hey, I know the way home. In fact, I am the way home. Would you come and walk with me? Let me show you Something different and the way and the truth and the life. And we've, we've talked about this. we talked about this in and, and the statement that Jesus made, I am the bread of life. We talked about this in the reading of the, the good, good Shepherd. <clears throat> that Jesus has come to offer life and offer it to the full. Jesus has come to show us that there's a new way of living and that it doesn't have anything to do with our ability to keep The rules, it has everything to do with our willingness to surrender and say, I can't do it on my own and I'm so tired of trying. I just give up. And I want what you have to offer me. Jesus is the way by which we find life. Life on this earth, life with Jesus on this earth. We will always be surrounded by and reminded of the brokenness and the way that this world has been tarnished. Yet in life with Christ, in this life to the full that Jesus comes to offer us, we catch these glimpses of life as it is intended to be. We catch these glimpses and and allow ourselves to step into this reality of, you know, this is not all there is because I was created for something different. C.S. Lewis captures it this way. The Christian says creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desires. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that i was made for another world if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it that does not prove that the universe is a fraud probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy, an echo, a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. If we find that there are desires within us that this world can never touch, can never truly satisfy, C.S. Lewis has tapped into this truth. We are not created for this world as it exists now. We were created for the world in which Jesus reigns supreme. The Lamb who was slain, who is sitting on the throne, the one who is surrounded by the elders and the living beings, the one who is at the center of an unending and eternal worship. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Holy, holy, holy is the God of. Has come we were created for a world in which all is made right and the promise is that Jesus will return and do that, a world in which there is no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death because it has been swallowed up in the life of Christ friends, for us to hear these words of Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except by me is for us to hear an invitation to come home And once we have said yes to that invitation, it is an opportunity and an invitation for us to say, hey, I know the way home and his name is Jesus. These are words of comfort and these are words of hope and these are words of promise. They are not meant to be words of judgment, but rather invitation to another way. Wherever you are this morning, the journey, if you are one who is like, you know what, that's my story, I've been longing for home, then know that Jesus has made a way for you to return to the Father. And you're like, no, I got I to gotta get cleaned up first. There's no way that I can come to the Lord like this. May I remind you of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The younger son who said to his father, I want all of your inheritance. I don't want to wait until you're gone. I want it now. That's as good as saying to his father, you're dead to me, just give me what's mine because I want to go and make a name for myself. I want to go and live life on my own. He had in him him a longing for home that he thought this world was going to satisfy. And once he exhausted everything that he had, he found himself living with pigs, wrestling them for their food, Listen, I don't know if you've ever wrestled a pig before, but they are filthy creatures. He finds himself in the pigsty wrestling pigs for their food, covered with their muck and covered with their filth. And it's at that, that moment that he wakes up because that longing for home is so great in him. He says, maybe my father will accept me as a hired hand. At least they get fed. And so he humbles himself and he begins the journey home his father sees him. And he runs to him. And he embraces him. And he plants kisses on him. This dude is still covered in filth. Look, look, when my kids have a cold, I'm like, I love you, I'm going to kiss you on the forehead. Because I don't want that. Covered in filth, and the father embraces him and picks him up. Plants kisses on him. Says to his servant, bring the robe, bring my ring, place it on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. Calf, we are going to celebrate because my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. The invitation for home stands for all who long for it. And church, that is all of us. What is it that you are pursuing? What is it that you are chasing in hopes of finding your way home? If it is not Jesus, I can tell you from experience, it is a dead-end road. But in Christ, we find the way, and the truth, and the life, and we find home as it was meant to be. May we consider that invitation. And if you are a follower of Christ, and you're like, yeah, I have said yes to that invitation that I want to offer to you. Now, what is it that you are doing with the fact that you know the way home. Are you just keeping that for yourself or are there others that need to be invited into that and need to hear these comforting, hopeful words of Jesus? We stand in prayer.